welcome back into another edition of the Rattle Podcast. As always, my name is Jesse Friedman. And folks, baseball is officially back here. We have made it to opening day somehow, someway through all of the COVID strife. Uh, we have made it to this fateful day. It has finally come. And me and Jeff decided to do something a little crazy last night. We decided to go live via Periscope. Uh, to do our, our final season preview. We turn on the cameras and everything. It was a lot of fun um, last night over on Periscope. Uh, so that's what you're going to hear in this episode is a recording of the audio of our Periscope live stream from yesterday. Um, so the video is still there, though. So if you want to see our beautiful faces come alive, uh, head over to our website at therattle.net. You'll find uh, the YouTube video there as well, which you can also watch. But Uh, Hey, we've also been told we have faces for radio, and you know what? If that's you, if you think that, then you have come to the right place. Uh, Here it is audio only, uh, and as always, we appreciate you listening to the Rattle Podcast. So without further ado, uh, here is episode 22, our final season preview of the 2020 Arizona Diamondbacks. So go ahead and jump in, Jeff. Uh, there's yeah. a lot of news to talk about. I mean, holy cow, holy it has been a whirlwind of baseball here for the last few days. So I'll just run down a few things. We had uh, earlier today, obviously, the big announcement is the expansion of the playoffs, literally less than three hours before first pitch of opening day. I think they were like legally binded to get this agreement in before play started, and they beat it by three hours, which is just so fitting for uh, just the messiness of the labor negotiations and everything that's happened. But uh, Jeff, initial thoughts. We go from 10 teams to 16 teams for a team yeah. like the Diamondbacks. You know, if you were going to be one of those 10 anyway, like we suspected, then this is maybe a bad thing because suddenly you have another round of playoffs to make it through. But, you know, maybe maybe the Diamondbacks wouldn't have. Maybe they would have just missed it. That was also very, very, very plausible. And now you have to feel a lot better about their chances of getting in. Yeah, I mean, I sort of, you know, I kind of felt like they were going to be one of two um, scenarios, either like the last team in or the first team out. And so uh, I feel a whole lot better uh, about their chance to make it in. Obviously, it's going to be um, a good bit of work, um, you know, once, you know, if they are able to make it in. Because, um, man, if you look at, like, I mean, if you go to baseball perspectives or to fan graphs and you look at playoff odds, um, you know, the sort of the melee of teams just stuck right around. I mean, in a 60 game season, like between 28 and maybe 32 expected wins, um, there are just so many teams that are right there. So I have to feel a lot better about the Diamondbacks' chances. Um, and the top two teams in each division are going to get in now. So, you know, dethroning the Dodgers is already, you know, feeling impossible. But like, can you outplay the Rockies and the Padres? I mean, the Rockies, that should be should be able to accomplish that. And I think we both have some reservations about the Padres. So I really think this increases the the Diamondbacks' chances. And honestly, to not have to like try to take a wild card out of, you know, away from a team in the central or in the east and just maybe slide in as the second West team feels a lot safer to me, frankly, than trying to like, mm. you know, sort out those other, you know, stacked divisions. Yeah, for sure. I think the the way that they plan to do it is really interesting. You mentioned the top two teams in each division make it now, which is interesting. I mean, in a way, that's like the Diamondbacks' dream, right? Like, what if instead of one division winner, there could have just been two, and and suddenly, you know, the Diamondbacks would, would have been in the playoffs for probably years now. 
under under a situation like this. Um, but yeah, I think I've heard from a lot of people that the incentive to be good in the regular season suddenly kind of drops off a little bit. Uh, I've heard some people very, very critical about that. If you're taking the top 16 teams, that's more than half the league. There's going to be probably several teams that are 30 and 30 that make the playoffs. And on some level, if if your team is average or better, these 60 games kind of become just like a preparation for, for what is to come in the playoffs when games really count. And you could also make the argument that, oh, they all, they'll have home field advantage or whatnot in the playoffs. But home field advantage is only so valuable in an empty stadium. Uh, it's clearly not nearly as valuable as it normally would be. So it seems like a mess to me, Jeff, just all of all of these changes. And we'll see how it works out. Yeah, and I mean, my 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 counter argument, and I know like um, I know the way this will end up playing out is going to be pretty different than the way the projections look. I mean, the projections kind of cluster everything. A bunch of teams right in the middle in the National League, and they'll probably see a little more separation as it goes. But like in a sixty-game season, I mean, let's say hypothetically the Diamondbacks snag the second spot in the West and they go twenty-nine and thirty-one. Does not look real good. Yeah. But what if? What if one of the teams that gets in in the wild card is thirty and thirty? Sure. Are we are we quibbling over one game? Like that's one dropped catch, one missed call, one you know uh, long fly ball that gets caught on a warning track. I mean, you know, like uh, we're sure. like I am. Uh, I'm not going to lose any sleep over how any of this shakes out this year. Yeah, yeah, that's totally fair. Um, we've got some other interesting things too. Uh, Mookie Betts. Uh, there's some news that came out yesterday regarding him that I know was saddening to a number of Diamondbacks fans out there. A 12-year contract, $365 million. I think his signing bonus, Jeff, was roughly equivalent to like the actual payroll of the Baltimore Orioles right now. Uh, $65 million was his signing bonus, which, I mean, I don't know what the Orioles payroll is off the top of my head, but it's probably not that much larger than that. Um but yeah, I mean, Mookie Betts is going to be a Dodger through age 39, barring a trade. And for a team like the Diamondbacks, we all know they don't have the money for, for something like this. They went out, they signed Zach Granke, uh, which was a big step for them. But I don't think they're going to be giving out any 10-year-plus contracts for more than $300 million anytime soon. And for a lot of people, it's it's I think it's probably kind of depressing that the Diamondbacks have lived in the Dodgers' shadow for so many years already. And they're getting probably a little bit tired of it at that point or at this point. And and now it's like, okay, well, what are the next seven years going to look like? You know, with the Dodgers having Mookie Betts, having Cody Bellinger here for a couple more seasons. Um, uh, what Do you have any words to uh, to comfort the ailing Diamondbacks fans right now, Jeff? I don't. I mean, I don't. And I'm not, you know, the... You know, the the pure baseball fan to me is not upset that I will get to see a lot of Mookie Betts play. That's, um, that's a great and point. I, and I, you can see Ken Griffey Jr. over my shoulder. I grew up as a Mariners fan. Um, I'm not upset that I get to watch the Mariners play the Angels and I get to watch Mike Trout play. Um, mostly because I haven't had a whole lot to root for in Seattle. But, um, <laughs> you know, it's... I don't have much to say on that. And I mean, I think you and I kind of went back and forth yesterday when we heard the news, um, you know, whether or not we felt, you know, or kind of how we feel about that contract. And I just, you know, um, a lot of big deals that that don't feel good. They don't sound good. You you know, the back of it's going to be really bad. Um, 
And I'm not as worried about Mookie Betts aging as I am a lot of other players. Sure. Um, you know, the only thing that could cause me concern is he's not a real big guy. Um, that plays in his favor in the sense that I don't think he's going to slow down tremendously. He will lose a step, but it's not like he relies on being this hulking, you know, power machine. Um, he's an athlete. He's a real, you know, true athlete. Um, and so the only thing that could really slow him down would be injuries. Um, he's been pretty healthy throughout his career. So, man, I, I, there, I, I think if you're, you know, I think for Diamondbacks fans, I just don't think there's really anywhere to hide with this. Like, I don't think there's any way that you can tell yourself, well, they'll pay the price in, you know, <laughs> 20, whatever year that is, 32 or whatever. Um, so, yeah, I don't, I don't think so. I think it's just, uh, I think he's going to be a pain in the butt for like a super long time. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the sad reality of it. The Diamondbacks also today, uh, they announced their 30-man roster. We'll kind of switch gears and talk a little D-backs here. Yeah. Um, not too surprising looking at it. I have it pulled up here over to my right. Um, I think you mentioned earlier today over Twitter, Dalton Varsho wasn't on the taxi squad, which is interesting. We kind of figured he might be the next catcher in line after Carson Kelly and Steven Vogt. Uh, instead, they went with John Hicks uh, for that, that kind of third catcher spot. Uh, Joe Mantiply as well as Wyatt Matheson are also uh, joining Hicks on the taxi squad list. Uh, some people I know, I also saw a few fans um, not super pleased to see Taylor Widener and Taylor Clark on the 30-man roster, which is understandable given what we saw earlier this week. Um, to those people, I would say don't worry too much. I don't think you're going to see Taylor Widener pitching the ninth inning in a 4-3 to three game anytime soon. Uh, same goes with Taylor Clark. They're going to get low leverage innings. I think they're really there because they're stretched out to a certain degree. And in the event that one of these pitchers, uh, one of their starting pitchers suddenly went down with an injury or COVID, I think Alex Young would be the next guy in line. And then you would get to Taylor Clark and Taylor Widener. So at the end of the day, you're probably not going to see these guys pitch too much uh, in a game anytime soon. Uh, but Jeff, I mean, is there anything I'm missing here? It didn't seem like any... Any big surprises? John Jay was on the list. We were kind of expecting that. Um, he's had a, a nice summer camp by all accounts. Um, Josh Rojas made the team as well. Uh, I think that was he was maybe a little bit on the edge after not playing so well yeah. toward the end of last season. But other than that, it seemed seemed pretty uh, pretty much like we would have expected. Yeah, I agree. I mean, there was really no big shock. Um, you know, I thought Varsho had a chance. Um, on that taxi squad in that sense where he's super versatile. Um, he could catch, you could put him at second base. He could play the outfield in a pinch, um, you know, but maybe, you know, maybe he just ends up skipping the taxi squad thing altogether and, and, and ends up getting called up at some point. So sure. I still think we probably see him somewhere down the line. I really do. Um, unless other guys are playing so well that there's just really not a spot for him. And that's frankly fine too. Um, but in the absence of that, I think we probably see him. Um, you know, I think you're totally right on on Widener and Clark. Um, you know, I think what we saw in Los Angeles um, it certainly wasn't pretty. Um, they got pounded, and um, you know, things were and the way in which it happened wasn't great. Um, we saw a lot of fringy pitching against, you know, as you called it. And you're right, probably the best lineup in the National League, if not maybe the majors. Um, you know, when you throw sort of, you know, quad A, um, 
you know, guys out there, sixth, seventh <laughs> starters at that lineup. I mean, you should probably hide your eyes. Like, it's yeah. not going to be good. Um, but what bothered me a little bit was the way the offense just didn't respond. I mean, yeah. um, we saw a lot of, like, non-competitive at-bats from guys that are going to play prominent roles. Um, we saw a lot of – we saw some first-pitch swinging. We saw some really questionable decisions um, some kind of bad body language. So some of that was, was not real great. So I'll, I'll look for them tomorrow to kind of get themselves out of a, out of that funk a little bit. But, you know, the roster really shaped up the way I think, you know, we, we thought it probably would. It doesn't look like they took any chances. Um, and that's fine. I guess my only thought was when, you know, uh, what, six hours ago now, when that playoff uh, format was changed, was thinking, like, would you do anything different now? Hmm. I mean, you, you put the tweet out, you've submitted the roster that's gone through, like, is there anything that you would do differently now knowing what you know? And I think, you know, I think for the D-backs, they need to really push to beat the Padres and secure that second spot. But I don't know if another move right this very second, you know, is necessary. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a great point. That was another piece of news that I didn't really want to address, but we probably should. The whole Monday <laughs> and Tuesday shellacking 21-3, to yeah. the Diamondbacks were outscored by the Los Angeles Dodgers, which honestly it kind of brought me back to last season. Um, opening day, the Diamondbacks started out in Los Angeles, and Zach Granke had a just horrific meltdown in that first game of the season. And I know bad memories, not, yeah, I yeah. hadn't, I hadn't thought, thought about, about that in a long time. I had not thought about that in a long time either. And, and suddenly the memories came rushing back. But I think another thing you just kind of have to come to terms with is the Dodgers are a very, very, very good team. And just that lineup that they're putting out with Mookie Betts and Cody Bellinger, both of those guys are probably top five, top 10 hitters in the game right now. And you put in, you know, you put Justin Turner and Jock Peterson and and all of these and Max Muncy and all of these guys who frankly would be a probably number three, number four hitter on most other teams. Those guys are batting seventh on the Dodgers uh, in some cases, like with Jock Peterson. So uh, the Dodgers are a, a very, very good team. And like you said, we're not really surprised that when, you know, you, you throw a quad a pitcher out there against a lineup that that's good. Uh, it, it will be it will be ugly from time to time. Um we do have a we have a comment here from Mac Attack. We'd encourage all of you guys uh, chime in. We're here to answer questions too. We've got some yeah. some things to talk about, but we'd love to love to hear from you guys as well. Um, Mac Attack says, "Crone, um, is it Crone and Lamb in a DH platoon, or is that spot Jake Lamb's to lose?" Uh, which is which is interesting. I mean, I think the the platoon kind of makes sense mm. because Jake Lamb. I don't think you really want Jake Lamb in a, in a lineup against a lefty anytime soon. So I would I would probably err on the side of the of a platoon there with maybe the idea of putting Ildemaro Vargas in that spot from time to time if there isn't room for him in the field. Uh, Jeff, what are your what are your thoughts on on the DH for the D-backs? I mean, I think in some ways it's going to come down to to something that we saw that it looks like Tori announced here somewhat recently um, earlier today was uh, Christian Walker will serve as the DH tomorrow um, right. during opening day. So I think it probably at least to start the season is really tied to Christian Walker's health. Um, if he's, you know, athletically and defensively, you want him at first base all the time. Yeah. Um, that's the best bat. That's the best option. Um, and then, yeah, I probably play some matchups and I don't, I don't even know that it necessarily has to just be 
lefty righty. Um, you know, I think I think Lamb obviously you don't let him face a lefty for really any reason, especially during these first couple of weeks when the rosters are big. Like, yeah. just don't do it. There's no reason. There's just no reason to. Yeah. No, time is short. Yeah, let's let's do something else. Um, but I do think that there may be some matchups that even in a case where a right-hander against Crone is, is maybe a better move, um, you know, depending on what Jake struggles with and what, um, you know, Crone handles well. So um, Crone to me really seems like just an absolute fastball hitter. Um, you know, and Lamb has had his moments kind of with, with that as well, but um, sure. maybe has a little more con- control in that sense. So. Um, I do think that in some instances, you know, you could you could split the platoon beyond just left right, but um, I, that's probably the direction I would go um, unless they really scuffle. And I mean, I didn't see. We obviously only really got to see a, a little bit of action before things are going to kick off here. And you know, what I've seen from Lamb hasn't been real encouraging. No. I mean, and I think we kind of know the book on on the crone in a sense where, you know, if he, he could run into some pitches, they go a real long ways. Um, but other times it just, he just looks a little overmatched. So, um, maybe a little more hopeful on crone at this point, unless lamb can really like find his comfort quickly, but hmm. I don't have a good answer. I mean, that's probably how I'd play it to start with. And then if, if those things start to fizzle, then maybe you do look sort of, you know, ill tomorrow swinging really well. Like let's get him some yeah. looks. Yeah. 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 That makes sense. I mean, I think, I agree that I don't think it's really very cut and dry. I don't think Jake Lamb and Kevin Crone have even necessarily set themselves apart from the competition. And, and given, like you said, that there's such a big roster to start things out with, there's really no reason for the Diamondbacks to give Crone and Lamb a job that they haven't necessarily earned just yet. Um, so, yeah, I think you'll see the Diamondbacks mix it up a lot there. I think Christian Walker, ideally, like you said, is your first baseman, not your DH, but given his injury... Uh, maybe that's just a temporary thing that he'll he'll be DH here for for a little while. Um, some other some other thoughts here, Jeff. Um, I know the lineups were really interesting against the Dodgers. Uh, the Diamondbacks used Cole Calhoun in the leadoff spot, which I don't think we saw in spring training at all. Um, but suddenly Tori Lavello put that out. I think he announced later though that that was really just to get Cole Calhoun the most at bats possible given that he was coming back from an injury. So I know I read a ton into that uh, and looked up all sorts of stats comparing Cole Calhoun and Starling Marte, who I think is who a lot of people would expect to be the, the logical leadoff hitter. Um, Jeff, what are your thoughts on on just the lineup card and uh, and what it might look like tomorrow? Torrey didn't, uh, he was asked in a press yeah. conference today to, to reveal the lineup. He wouldn't do it, wanted to wait until tomorrow. Um, what are you expecting to see? Yeah, that's a great that's a great question. I mean, I was obviously like you a little surprised with Calhoun. I do know he can get on base, um, and even during some of his seasons when he really did sort of scuffle there with with Anaheim, he was able still to get on base at a decent clip. Um, I still like Starlin Marte there. Um, yeah, I, I really do like the guy that can just. I mean, he can fly. Um, I'm telling you, man, and and. I like it for two reasons. I like it because I love the way the lineup card looks when it says Marte, Starling Marte. is batting first and Cattell <laughs> is batting second, and then everyone else's last names. Yeah, but those guys get their first names. Sure. Um, so I love that. But also, I just like. I mean, you get Starling Marte on with his ability to steal, and you put Cattell Marte at the plate. I mean, I I like my odds. I like that scenario. I want. 
let's put this way. I want that scenario as often as I can get it. Hmm. Um, I want that scenario as, as, as often as I can get it. So those that would really be probably the, the tip of my lineup more often than not. Um, I know that I know that Starling is not a, a big a big walker, um, but he does make a lot of contact. Um, does have some sure. real feel for the barrel, so um, he's going to put the ball in play. He's not going to strike out too much, um, and, and that's probably where I think it starts. Uh, I I love you know I love the notion of like giving Cattell as many at bats as possible. Uh, uh, first and second isn't that big, and a lot of sabermetric studies have really revealed that batting second in the lineup is is arguably more valuable than batting like third. So. Um, and now, and now we don't have a pitcher batting ninth. Um, so I just love, like, I think I, I would really be pretty willing to write Cattell's name in and ink in at the second spot. Um, and then kind of work it from there with probably Starling as my preference to bat lead off to begin with. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but part of the reason I did like Calhoun in the leadoff spot was that historically they've actually both let off a lot in their careers, which is not particularly surprising with a guy with Starling Marte's speed. But Cole Calhoun does not really fit the bill as, you know, prototypical leadoff hitter. He strikes out a lot, has a decent amount of power, doesn't really steal bases at all. Uh, but he has more than a thousand plate appearances uh, with during his time with the Angels in the leadoff spot. He was actually better in the leadoff spot than he was elsewhere in the lineup. And Starling Marte, on the other hand, actually his performance fell off a little bit in the leadoff spot, whereas he was really effective when he was batting third. Obviously, these are the kind of, not all splits are meaningful, right? Like you don't want to put too much into yeah, this. Right. Uh, you know, some right. years guys bat 350 at home and 250 on the road, but that doesn't necessarily mean they, they actually, you know, are way better hitting at home or anything like that. So, you don't want to put too much onto yeah. those numbers, but uh, for me, it was telling that for a guy like Starling Marte, he's actually not used to batting leadoff that much as of late. Uh, just given the fact that he was on the Pittsburgh Pirates, he was pretty much their best hitter yeah. for several years. He was the he was the guy in the middle of the lineup. Yeah. So, so yeah. I, I I don't know. I don't know how much you know how much you want to put into those numbers, but those were at least a few thoughts into why I thought maybe Calhoun makes more sense than you would initially think in that leadoff spot. Yeah. And I agree with you. Like, and I don't, and I don't hate the idea of toggling my leadoff hitters. Like I, you want to bat Calhoun there against uh, righties and bat, um, you know, Starling there against lefties. Like that's fine with me. Um, so I, I like Tori's ability to kind of mix and match. Like he's got a couple guys there and, and still, either way, I mean, I know that that Calhoun isn't necessarily the threat to to swipe a bag the way um, maybe Starling is, but um, I still like just getting people on base in front of Cattell Marte because he is just far and away the team's best hitter. I mean, it's just not close. So um, the more guys that you can pile up in front of him, the better I'm going to feel. Um, you know, and then obviously I think, you know, Christian Walker needs to hit up there and he needs to really like cement his spot. I think it's really unfortunate he's coming in a little dinged up because sure. um, he was probably primed to really have a pretty strong campaign. Um, he was a little hot and cold last year, but when he was hot, he was really hot. Um, you know, and from there, you just kind of have a lot of options. You know, then you can bounce back to the left side with David Peralta or you, know, you start to really mix and match. So I think 
I think Tori will probably play with it a little bit early on. I don't know. That's that's kind of my read. I mean, he doesn't seem to be afraid to kind of tinker with the lineup. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> and, and I don't mind that. Like, I really don't, and especially in a 60-game season. I'm like, just, you know, find what clicks, find where guys are comfortable, and, like, let's let's kind of find that. We're going to have to find it pretty fast. Sure. Yeah. Uh, one thing I want to talk about just briefly is about the Diamondbacks opponent in their opening series, the San Diego Padres. I know uh, a lot of people have maybe been put off by just how positive the outlook is on the Padres. How a lot of people have picked them to finish above the Diamondbacks. I was on a, a podcast earlier today. Uh, they were it was hosted by a couple of Yankee fans, and they asked me whether the Diamondbacks would finish second or third in the NOS, I said second, and they were like, whoa, you think you're going to be better than the Padres? And I was like, I didn't know that was such a dramatic, you know, such a hot take to have. But uh, apparently, you know, that's kind of the situation that we're in right now with the Padres, uh, the moves that they made over the offseason. They got Drew Pomeranz, who I know is was a, a highly sought after piece out of the bullpen, and then just getting Fernando Tatis back from injuries. But on the other hand, I'm like, the Padres haven't been good in, in years, frankly. And, and even they weren't really that good last year. So how big of a turnaround do you think the Padres can can realistically have this quick? I mean, it depends on how, how quickly they're willing to, like, dip into some of their youth, right? I mean, their sure. farm system is loaded, has been loaded for quite some time. A bunch of those guys are knocking on the door. So um, to me, it's a little bit about, you know, are they willing to start some service clocks? Um you know, if someone scuffles, you call up Mackenzie Gore. Like, are you willing to do that? Yeah. Um, you know, and then to me, like Manny Machado is just kind of a wild card. Like he could be an absolute monster or, you know, what you get from him. I, I don't feel very comfortable with. Yeah. Um, I think Tatis is the, absolutely the real deal. Guys like Chris Paddock are the real deal. Um, they have some absolute star power. Um, but yeah, I'm a little bit, you know, uh, I'm a little lukewarm. I don't know how much to trust them. You and me, have, you know, we've seen a lot of games played, you know, against the Padres. And I like we've had this joke, or at least I have, you know, where it's like <laughs> you think they're going to be really good. And then like midway through the season, like half their roster are guys that they've called up from El Paso and are batting like, you know, four, five, six in their lineup. And I'm just like, sure. why is Ty France the cleanup batter on a team that's <laughs> supposed to be pretty good? Like no offense, Ty France, but like. You know, it's just, are you really going to be able to roll with, with the rest of the National League that's pretty deep this year, um, if that's your reality? So they've got to stay healthy. They may need to start some some service clocks. Um, I think there's a lot of talent there. I think Denison Lamette is, he's a guy that I'm yeah. just like super high on, and I think he's going to be way better than people think. Um, hmm. But I think, the, I think the Diamondbacks, honestly, are probably a little bit deeper in terms of their like present major league talent. Yeah, yeah, we can look at the uh, the starting rotations uh, of these two teams, and even I believe we have probables for at least the weekend part of the series. We should, yeah. Yeah, so it should be. I think it's Madison Bumgarner and Chris Paddock will be um, obviously tomorrow. That's that's no surprise there. Um, and then on Saturday we have Robbie Ray for the Diamondbacks, and then he is countered by I believe it's Denelson Lamette uh, for the Padres, yeah. and then on Sunday it's Zach Gallen against Garrett Richards, uh, who Garrett Richards was once upon a time, a very, very good pitcher. Who's been, very good pitcher. Yes. Been rattled by injuries for a long time. So th- there's some wild cards in there. You mentioned Lamette, his strikeout 
per nine last year was above 12, I want to say, which is really impressive for a starting pitcher. Obviously, with our experience with Robbie Ray, we know that a K per nine of 12 doesn't necessarily make you an ace, but it's it's sure a starting point. And, uh, and I've had some conversations with people about this already. And I think I think the one game in this series, at least over the first three into the weekend, I think the Padres probably have the pitching advantage tomorrow, I would argue. Chris Paddock, I think, is mm-hmm. frankly a better pitcher than Madison Bumgarner at yeah. this stage, which I know I'm, I might I might have tomatoes thrown at me for saying that, but I think that's just <laughs> I think that's that's just kind of the case at this point. Paddock was really good last year. Uh, he was really good against the against the Diamondbacks too. He had an ERA of about one against the Diamondbacks in three starts, which is not great news. And and Bumgarner is is fine. He's he's good, um, but I think Paddock is probably the better pitcher there. But going into uh, Saturday and Sunday, I think I would probably take Robbie Ray over De- Denelson Lamette, uh, given what we've seen from Robbie Ray in summer camp. And maybe Zach Gallen narrowly I would take over Garrett Richards, but it also depends on on which version of Garrett Richards we get. So it, it really I feel like normally you know you look at a series with the Padres and you've got the pitching advantage in all three of the games, but I don't think it's that simple this weekend, Jeff. I don't either. I mean, yeah, I don't either. I, I think they're. I think you're right. I think Paddock can absolutely shove with the best of them. Um, I have not seen a pitcher as young as him uh, come out and pitch with the sort of, you know, uh, just frankly anger that he seems to pitch. He has some anger. He um, does. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Yeah. And he seems to like to work it out on the mound. Um, So he's a scary dude. Um, I mean, he just comes right after everybody with quality stuff. Um, You know, not, you know, not too dissimilar from kind of, you know, in some ways what a Madison Bumgarner was, you know, maybe in his prime. Um, A guy who really attacked hitters, maybe didn't have quite the elite velocity, um, but also never refused to back down. And I don't think that's changed either. Um, Hmm. I think, you know, when we look at those two teams, though, because I think this division and ultimately that playoff berth are going to come down to those two teams. I, I really think this is like, you know, for this division, this is the race to watch. Um you know, what do you get out of Garrett Richards? Does he give you what you think you're going to get? Sure. Or does he give you two starts and his elbow hurts and he's done <laughs> for the season? Yeah. The good news for the Padres is they have quality that they can call up if they want to do it um, to replace something like that in the way that the Diamondbacks can't. Um, hmm. the, the Bringing up someone like Mackenzie Gore or Adrian Morahone will – be a, a better, uh, you know, uh, would be a better outcome than, than bringing like, like Alex Young into the rotation from the Diamondbacks. Yeah. Um, so they have a little more to survive it, but it's just unproven and it's a little shaky. So um, I think this is a big series for the D-backs. And after getting their, their butts, frankly, kicked, you know, badly in L.A., I hope they're angry um, because it would be a big statement to come out and take two or three uh, to start the season. Yeah, absolutely. We got a question, another one from MacAttack71, who's still with us. Yes, a really tough one. Who leads in pitching war to finish the season for the Diamondbacks? That's a hard question. I think you could make a case for really any of four pitchers. I think everyone aside from Merrill Kelly, there's probably a, a case to be made, which we've been talking about over on our website at therattle.net. Um, our other writer, Joshua Inman, wrote a few really good pieces outlining the case for all of the members of the rotation, except for Merrill Kelly, they all have a viable case to be ace of this staff, 
we really don't know who that is. Um, gee, I'm going to, I'll try to make a decision here on the spot. I'm going to say in 2020, I'm going to guess Robbie Ray has the highest pitching war. I think as we saw in 2018 with Patrick Corbin, there's something about the walk year uh, that gets pitchers to kind of kick things up a notch. And Robbie Ray certainly looked the part in summer camp. That's my pick, but I could go, I could go any of a number of directions. What do you think, Jeff? I'm, I'm sitting here like going, 60 games, five pitch. They, they should all get the same number of starts. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure. My, my answer is going to be whoever gets more starts. Um, <laughs> because I think it's that, I think it's that close. Um, yeah. You know, I think, and also maybe, you know, if we were to take this super seriously, it might depend on what version of, of war you want to use. Um, but yeah, I, you know, to me, it's probably between uh, Ray or Gallon. Um Gallon is maybe risky because we haven't seen a ton of him. We've yeah. seen a lot of guys come up and have a really good first season, and then the book is out. And then sophomore year, it's like, I got to adjust because they have adjusted to me. Totally. That's something I'm going to watch really closely. Like, does he come out and just keep pumping strikes and throwing quality stuff? Or are guys like sitting on things now and like, hey, man, we've got you figured out? Like, you may have come up from AAA gone to Miami and then jumped into our division and kind of caught us by surprise. But now we know that whole winter to plan and well now uh, spring and most of summer Um, or, you know, like, but then I also think of, of Ray, you know, it's like he could be absolutely frustrating or, you know, if it's just, if the guy just needs to make like 10, 11, 12 starts, I mean, he could go on a run where he just absolutely piles up strikeouts. So I'm probably with you. I think I'd probably take Robbie Ray. Yeah, that's a that is a really good question. We could even play the same game on the position player side. I think obviously Cattell Marte's number one, no question there. Sure. But once we could, you, we could ask who's gonna be the runner up. Yeah, we could ask who's gonna be the runner up. And I I really don't know. This is another thing that I, I wrote about at one point um over on our website and I didn't I it was one of those articles where you kinda analyze a situation but you don't really come to a firm conclusion because you're a little bit too scared to make any big proclamations. And I think there's a lot of guys who fit into this conversation with the Diamondbacks on the position player side. Even if we exclude the pitchers, there's still plenty of options. I think Starling Marte was really good last year. He's maybe the closest thing the D backs have to a five tool player. Um, or he can really do just about anything, including stealing bases, which is something they don't have a lot of on their lineup. Eduardo Escobar hit 35 home runs last year. David Peralta kind of has a long track record. Um, I I don't know, Jeff. I think there's a there's a lot of ways you could you could go with something like this. See, and I also think that like Peralta is another guy who is in a contract year, so you know, like he's or just in the sense of like you know our our. our feedback around Ray like it makes sense he needs a big year um he's entering free agency way later than he probably ever intended because of the positional change and all that so Mm. yeah it's a really tough one I think if I had to bet I'd probably bet on Starling Marte just given the combination of you know uh what he can do at the plate what he can do from a base running standpoint and what he contributes defensively um He's good enough defensively that War will capture that um, and give him the positional adjustment for playing center field that will really benefit him. That even though a guy like Christian Walker is tremendously talented at first base, he'll just never get the accolades because mm-hmm. it's first base. 
Yeah, um, we we've played so that game with Paul Goldschmidt in the MVP race before. We all we all know how that works out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think it's good for about a second. Um, so, yeah, I, I, that's probably where I'd go. But yeah, you could really make a case for a guy like Escobar. I mean, man, he has been such a pleasant surprise this time in Arizona. Um, you go a number of ways there, and it's I think it speaks to the depth. But like it, it you know, they they're clearly also the fact that you can't obviously answer this question could highlight a bit of a problem because if Cattell is scuffling who kind of picks up the slack I mean it has sure. to be done by committee and you know that's all well and good as long as the committee's up to the task but there's not there's just really not that clear-cut guy yeah yeah I think if you look even a couple years into the future too I have a feeling it wouldn't be any of those guys that we that we've talked about I think it would probably be you know Dalton Varsho or Maybe Carson Kelly really becomes, you know, a solid everyday star catcher, really puts everything together. I don't think Eduardo Escobar is the best, you know, second best player on the Diamondbacks two years from now. And that that really just makes things even more intriguing. Um, Mac Attack, who is still with us. We appreciate all your engagement, Mac Attack. This is phenomenal. (laughs) Um, He wanted to know if David Peralta signed a three year extension, which I believe he did. Uh, So David Peralta will be with the Diamondbacks here for for the foreseeable future. Thank you um so yeah it's it's late jeff it's after it's after work you're all good (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah beyond that i mean thinking about what's going to go down tomorrow and just playing a season in a pandemic is one thing that we haven't really touched on yet and that is very complicated as as we all know i mean juan soto tested positive this morning you know who knows how long he'll be out for and I think yeah. for the Nationals, Juan Soto is kind of like a Cattell Marte figure for them where they don't really have, I guess, Trey Turner is a, is a pretty good position player, but definitely doesn't have the star power that Juan Soto has. And that's just kind of part of what this bizarre 2020 baseball experience is going to be like, is just that any player at any time, they don't have to pull a hamstring, you know, they don't have to strain their oblique they might just someday just not be able to play for two weeks because of COVID-19. And that's just kind of the world that we live in. And I don't know, Jeff, I don't know if you think the Diamondbacks are better prepared for something like that than other teams. I think Dalton Varsho is is probably my first man up for, for a lot of different mm-hmm. scenarios, just given how much he can move around the field. I think he's probably your next best bet in a lot of situations. But it's going to be a complicated season and we're just beginning to see what that looks like right now. Yeah, I agree. We like totally don't have a clear picture of this. We don't know what it looks like. And to your point, like one day you wake up and it's just like, Oh, so that's like done. Yeah. And I mean, man, like two weeks is, you know, obviously the best case scenario. I mean, you're asymptomatic and you spend your two weeks and you test and you come back clean and you come right back and you jump right back in. I mean, but there's the whole flip side of the coin where someone's like really sick and, um, you know, we lose them, you know, for the season or, you know, you know, heaven forbid their lives. So, um, hmm. yeah, that's just going to be a big thing and, and it's going to be disruptive. Um, it's going to be disruptive to clubhouses. It's going to be disruptive maybe in some ways to team chemistry a little bit. So, um, I do think the Diamondbacks, you know, there's two guys on the position side that I think really helped them in this regard. You mentioned the first one is Varsho. Um, the next one is Ildemar Vargas, who can just play yeah. all over the infield, is starting to grow into his power and into his strength. 
um, is becoming a more physical player. Uh, well, probably not quite at the age yet where he's really slowing down a bunch physically. So he could probably still kind of do it all um, in that regard. So I think those two guys are really pivotal for them um, in that sense. And then, you know, just keeping a guy like, like Timmy LoCastro around. I mean, yeah. with the extra inning rule being what it is, I mean, I will gladly give up just about any hitter in the lineup to stick Tim LoCastro on second base to start an inning. Um, sure. So uh, that that feels pretty good. So I think positionally they're in pretty good shape. I just think that if they're to lose one of the starting pitchers, um, things could be really challenging for them. Uh, I think that's really where things could be ugly if, if a Zach Gallen or a Robbie Ray or a Madison Bumgarner, or even a Luke Weaver is to go down. I think that's where that's where things get dicey really quick because they don't have the immediate reinforcements that uh, can probably provide quite the quality. Yeah, I'm totally with you on that. I think Vargas is a is a great point. Um, I think another name we might even throw in there is Josh Rojas. Uh, yeah. We don't really know if he's if he's there yet from a performance standpoint on offense, but he at least has the versatility to move around and he has, you know, some prospect pedigree to to live up to in a way. And maybe he'll, you know, figure some things out here in his sophomore season. Uh, Jeff, before before we say goodbye, I want to finish off here with each of us giving an X factor for this 2020 season. If you had to pick one player on this Diamondbacks team who has the biggest impact, whether they're good or whether they're bad or not so great here in this shortened season, that mm-hmm. it would have, you know, a tremendously, uh, a tremendous impact on the outcome of the team as a whole. I'll go ahead and start and give mine. I'll give you a, I'll give you a second to, to think. I don't want to, I don't want to okay, push it you. on you right no, away. Appreciate um, that. <laughs> so I'm going to start and I will say that the biggest X factor for the Diamondbacks in 2020, I think is going to be Madison Bumgarner. And I know this is strange because it's like, oh, he's your he's your ace. Like, does that, why would you pick him? He's kind of expected to be good anyway. But I think based on what Bumgarner did last season, a lot of the projections for him, whether you're looking at zips or uh, whatever projection system you want to use, almost all the projections for him are an ERA north of four and a half. And if you get that out of your number one spot in the rotation, I think that really tapers how good of a team the Diamondbacks could could really be. Because at that point, you're looking at Robbie Ray to kind of lead your staff. Uh, hopefully, you can get some good stuff from Zach Gallen. But I think that really thins things out. Whereas if Madison Bumgarner is able to kind of Zach Granke his way into some adjustments later in his career that suddenly make him not the pitcher he was, but maybe a pitcher close to that, I think that would be huge for the Diamondbacks. But honestly, this is a question, Jeff. I think you could pick a number of names. There's a lot of different cases to be made out there. But what name would you pick? I'll be honest, man. My my very first like inclination was to pick uh, Madison Bumgarner. So <laughs> I, I guess we're, we're sharing a, a wavelength there um, in that regard. Because for all the reasons you mentioned, like they just... Um, they don't have the depth to replace it. I think you're, I think you're right on. Um, and, and he's young enough that, and early enough in that contract that like, we need to still be living up to the top end of that. So, um, I totally agree. Um, I'm going to go to the positional side, um, and I'm just going to bank on Cattell being Cattell. So we'll just put that aside. (laughs) Um, I'm going to pick, I'm going to take Christian Walker. Um, I think the Diamondbacks really need that one more bat in the lineup. 
Um, another guy who's like a big time power threat who's going to either put a ball in the gap or over the fence. Mm. Um, can hit in the middle of the lineup day in, day out, um, and really give them some balance. They are they can be at times a little left-handed, especially if Lamb takes kind of that DH spot. So, sure. um, you know, they kind of need that right-handed thump, um, and I think he can give that to them. And, and the reason that I call him out is partly because he extends the lineup, and I think he has just as much or more power potential than anyone in the lineup. Hmm. Um, but we've only seen him play like one major league season. Yeah. And he's played b- before he before last year, he played parts of four uh, major league seasons. But I think the grand total of all of that experience was like less than 60 games. Hmm. So last year was really his rookie year. Um you know, we really need that to, to be solidified. Um, I think that would go a long way. And there are some younger kids kind of nipping at his heels, um, should he scuffle. So uh, I think he's a guy that, that just has the ability um, with the bat to really propel the offense in a way that few others can. And I think they're going to need him to be able to do that as really provide sort of that secondary threat beyond Cattell Marte. Well, you know, there was no one more disappointed to hear that Clayton Kershaw was being placed on the IL with back stiffness than Christian Walker. <laughs> there's yeah. some, there's there, some kind there of history like there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, but for everyone who, is, uh, who has spent this time with us, Mac Attack, we appreciate you popping in with some questions. Well, yep. I'm sure we'll, we'll hop on. We'll try to do this again at some point. Uh, I know you guys are not used to seeing our faces. Maybe that was for the best. Maybe they didn't want to see our faces, yeah. Jeff. I, I don't Get know. The face for radio. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There you go. We got the face for radio. No one wanted to see us anyway. Um, but we have baseball tomorrow night, ladies and gentlemen. I know. Um, I'll be watching for sure. I'll be live tweeting as always. Um, Jeff, I'm sure you'll be uh, doing yeah. whatever you can uh, as well on that front. Um, probably so, giving you a hard time on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. yeah there you go. <laughs> Roasting me on Twitter. Just, just in your comfort zone is normal. Um, but there's baseball less than 24 hours, uh, from today. It has been a long road, uh, to get here. We obviously hope that mm-hmm. all of you, our listeners are able to stay safe through all of the craziness happening in the world right now. We certainly wish you the best and there's baseball tomorrow, so things can only go up from here, hopefully. Uh, we'll, we'll see how it all turns out. But for Jeff Weiser, my name is Jesse Friedman. Thank you so much for joining us on this live stream and on this episode of the Rattle Podcast. And we'll be back again soon to talk more about the Arizona Diamondbacks.